Well, good morning, church. Pastor Ray here. I'm looking forward to be back with you all next week. But right now, I have the privilege of introducing to you Greg Vanderloo, who will be bringing us God's Word this morning. Greg is the pastor of Children's Ministries at Harvest Bible Chapel, Oakville, which is our planting church. And we are so thankful that him and his wife, Elena, and two of their four children are here with them this morning. Greg is so fired up to see families discipled on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see children trained up and equipped as disciples of Christ in the next generation. Let's put our hands together and give him a warm Harvest Ottawa welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Join me as we pray together and then we're going to Look into God's word together as his people today. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance now to um, hear under your word what you would have speak to us. And so, God, we are praying that in this place today, you would move powerfully, that you would put on our hearts a desire and a conviction and, and a, um, a will to want to tell the coming generations of your glorious name how holy you are, how worthy you are, how much you have done in us or how much you've done throughout history and how uh, we together as the people of God want future generations to know that God as well. So Lord, speak to us today. Speak to every single one of us. And would you use us for your glory, not only as a church, but in our communities, in this city, across this world, and so that people would know you in all areas of our lives. Lord, do this for your glory, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, as I said, thank you for that welcome. Uh, We felt welcomed here, as Pastor Ray said. Um, My wife Elaine and I, we came up yesterday, and uh, we took our oldest two kids with us, and uh, we had a great day in the city. We left our twin girls home. They're just two, so it was nice to leave them and have a break from them for uh, just a day. But I'm also excited to be here right now, because I am very passionate about teaching and telling the coming generations about Christ. As Ray said, my role on staff in Oakville is the pastor of children's ministries, and so, I mean, that just is a part of what God has called my wife and I to on a regular basis, but I'm also passionate for what that means for the church and for the church of God to understand their calling and their command within the word of God to understand that we need to tell the coming generations about Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, please take that out today. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one in your hands today to follow along. You can maybe just put your hands up. We have some of our ushers in the aisles that love to pass them out. Um, Turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is where we are going to be uh, learning and reading today. And Psalm 78, hopefully as you're turning there, um, maybe it's a psalm you've read before. You'll be reminded as we begin to read it. Maybe it's a psalm you've never heard before. That's okay too. Uh, My prayer for us is that as we open Psalm 78 today, that we would come to see the greatness and the glorious works of God. And in fact, we're just going to look at the first eight verses of the psalm. And I think within these first eight verses, we're going to see how the people of God, uh, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, are called to do four things for the coming generation. And so turn to Psalm 78 together. Now, uh, once you found that, I want to help us understand maybe um, who the family of God is. I want to show you an image on the screen that you can take a look at in terms of uh, what that means for the family. Now, many times um, in our culture, it's natural for us, as you can see, to think of uh, answering the question, what is family, to be what we would call the nuclear family. So if someone asked you what is family, maybe you would very naturally just say, well, a family is parents and children. I mean, that's the relationship. But I want you to see today... In this passage, that if you are a parent, certainly you are part of a family. If you are a child or a student or a young adult, you are a part of a family as well, because being alive means you've had parents that brought you into this world. Um, But also, the people of God is more than that. And all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this beautiful invitation for us to consider the fact that, you know, if you're an aunt here today, if you're an uncle that's here today, if you're a grandparent that's here today, or maybe even if you're just a believer in Jesus Christ, the Word of God tells us we are all a part of family. And therefore, as we read today and hear a call and a charge and a command from the Word of God to the people of God, If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a part of family. And if you're a part of a biological family, then you are also a part of family. And what I want you just to understand in all that, in this picture, these slides, 
this is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you have family still at home or if you have moved out from your family, if you're moving on in life. It doesn't mean if you've had kids grown up. We're all a part of this. So let's read this together and hear this word to tell the coming generations together as the church and the people of God. Starting in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded to our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Look at verse 7. So that, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not fed steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Um, the Christmas season is a great time for many of us to spend our time with family. And just to help maybe prove that point, how many of us this Christmas season spent time with family? Put your hand up if you spent time with family. Yeah, I expect that many of us probably would have chose if we had the opportunity to spend our Christmas season with family. But the thing is, is that when we talk about spending time with family or looking back this season, family is different for all of us. If someone were to ask you or describe what your family looks like, you'd have many different adjectives to describe your family. I mean, some of us, if you think about it, some of us have young children still at home. Some families have older children, maybe still at home, or maybe about to leave home, or maybe have left home. Some of us would describe our families and say that we have grandparents still alive. And some of us would say we don't have grandparents still alive. Some of us would describe family and say our family is relatively quiet. And some of us would be scared to show our families because we'd say our family loves to talk. And some of us have families, perhaps, where we'd say, you know what, we have, when we look back in the history of our family, we've gone through some really serious trial together. We've gone through hard times, maybe health or, or relational issues. And some of us would say, no, I, I haven't yet experienced that with my family. Some of us maybe look at our family and say, I feel like my family moves all the time. We have moved or traveled so many different places. Some of us would say, my family is lived in the same place, in the same home all my life. And whether your family looks like this or that, or you describe your family to be like that, and I describe my family to be different, the thing that we need to understand is that while we have different pictures of family, the best and the most beautiful picture we get within God's word is the family of God himself. So what I mean by that is the, the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible gives us a glimpse of this beautiful relationship, this family together, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all equal but different roles serving and working all throughout history and yet beautifully unified. And in fact, what we see within the Word of God is that God loves family so much that he gave us the institution of family. He gave us a model of family to live and, and be in relationship with one another that we might reflect what it looks like in God's perfect relationship. But our example is never perfect. Because only God is perfect. And so we see within the Bible how God has given the relationship of the family in different models to our world. And probably the best picture that we begin to see that in the Old Testament is when God comes and speaks to Abraham and Sarah. These are two folks with no children. They're well advanced in years. And God shows up to them, if you know the story, and God makes a promise, you will bear child. And you will have a son. And what God promises to Abraham and Sarah is that one day, in fact, you will be the great-great-grandfathers of my family Israel. With the purpose that as we come to the New Testament, we start to see the answers to the questions or see more pieces of the puzzle fit together and say, wow, 
What God was doing in Israel was preparing this family to one day welcome Jesus through their family line. We say, wow, family is so beautiful to God and he uses it in so many different ways because when we come to the New Testament and after Jesus is born, Jesus makes these statements and says to us, if you believe in me and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, then you are welcomed into God's family. And you are a part of the body of Christ. And God calls that his church, the bride of Christ. And that is why we are all a part of this command today as we begin our passage in verse 1. It says, give ear, O my people. Who's the author of this psalm talking about? Well, the author was Asaph. It says that in the very first line. This was a musical psalm that he had written for the people of God. And so if we're asking the question, well, who are the people of God that Asaph talks about? It's everyone, a part of the faith community of believers who said, the Lord is our God. If you remember that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord is one. It's everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And so if you do believe in Jesus Christ today, you're a part of the people of God. And if you're here today and you have not yet put your faith in Christ Look how this psalm or the song begins. Listen with eagerness. Incline your ear to what I am about to say. And that's how these first verses begin. And so number one that we see in the first four verses today, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Um, The four points or the four things that Asaph writes the people of God are things to tell the coming generation. So the first thing we see in the first four verses, tell the coming generations to listen up. And he does that by writing in those verses, give ear, give ear to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. He's about to say something. People of God, listen to what I have to say to you. Listen to what I'm about to remind you of or summarize for you that we've heard before. Because as he goes in verses 2 and 3, he says, I'm about to say something. And, And this is not something new. This is something we've heard before. In fact, we've heard this a long time ago. It was commanded to us. And look in the verse in verse 3. We've heard this from our fathers. It was an oral tradition passed down to them. And then he moves into verse 4. Just the first part of verse 4 says, We will not hide them from our children, but tell these things to the coming generation. So let's let's just pause for a moment. If you're here today and you're a parent, if someone were to ask you today, What is the ultimate goal of your parenting? What would you say to them? Or maybe what what are the words that you would use to describe? What is the ultimate goal of your parenting? If you're here today, you have a parent, what would you say is the ultimate goal that your parents have of you? What are they looking for in you? What what do they define as success in you? How would you answer that question? Now, often um, we can find, you you can find these by Googling them, but often national parental surveys, just surveying parents in our country, often the answer that parents give to that question, what's the goal of your parenting or what is success in parenting, they will say things like, well, I want my children, number one, to be respectful. I want them to be good listeners. I want them to behave. Some other answers that parents give, uh, we want them to uh, be kind and show love. Or maybe in the workforce, we want them to work hard. We want them to learn not to quit. Don't give up. Or maybe we'd say, you know, we want our children to do to others as we would have them do to us. They all sound wonderful. And these are, in fact, great goals. If you're a parent, teach your children these things. These are good moral characters to live and thrive in our world, to get along with people relationally. But, but look at the verse 4 at the second half. We call that 4B. Notice what Asaph says. The goal of parenting, the goal of what we're teaching future generations should never be about any of that conduct or any of that character or any of their competence. Look what he says. It's all about God. Verse 4B. We're not going to hide them from our children. We're going to tell them to the coming generation. What do we tell them? The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. And the wonders that he has done. And so then, if we look into that verse, what the word of God tells us, every parent, 
every leader within our church, every believer in Jesus Christ, what the psalm is saying here, we should have it on our hearts to be that the number one goal to the future coming generations is that they hear about a God who is glorious and mighty and wonderful. And that's why he begins the psalm by saying, listen up. Listen up to what I have to say. This is important, what I want to remind us. Think of the army general that walks in in the lines of battle, gathers the troops around, and what's one of the first things that they say? Attention! And all the, all the soldiers in the army, they gather around and they stand up straight, respectful, and, and maybe they salute their commander, their captain, and, and they incline their ear to what they're about to say. Listen, incline your ear. They're ready to hear. Or think about that coach in the pregame speech comes into the dressing room and, and says, all right, all right, all right, listen up, listen up. few tips before the game. I want to tell you about what to remember. I want to tell you about what we've been practicing. I want to tell you about what you should know, about what we're going to do on the, the power play or how we're playing defense or how we're going to go through this game together and play hard to the end. I mean, these, these, these coaches communicate a message and the players listen. That's what the author Asaph is doing in this. People of God, listen. Incline your ear. Hear what I'm about to say as we go through life together. And what he's saying is, to the coming generations, above all things in our lives, we should want them to know Jesus. Above anything we could ever teach them, we want them to know God. And that presumes two things. Maybe in the example of the army general, or the coaches, or maybe in your own parenting, it presumes two things. One, you have something to say. And the beautiful thing that God tells us within the word of God, the Bible, is that we have the gospel of Jesus to communicate to our future generations. So we have something to say. It also presumes when we want them to listen up and to give attention is secondly that we're trying to get their attention. And so maybe if you're a parent here today or if you're a part of this church here today, how are you living in a way that's trying to get future generations to listen to you? Sitting at home on the couch watching TV or playing video games or however else you think you're parenting, if we're not calling to attention our children, how would they learn from us? How would they listen to us? Maybe in the church that doesn't put the effort into pouring into future generations, how will the children understand my leaders in my life love God? And they just want me to know about all that God has done throughout all of history. And so you have to think about the fact that, that as we try to get our children's attention, as we try and call to attention future generations, we have something to tell them. And we're trying to get their attention by how we live our lives. And so maybe you're wondering, well, who's, who's responsible for that? The author says the people of God, but who's really responsible for telling them about the glorious deeds of the Lord? Is it the church's responsibility? Is it just parents' responsibility? Is it school's responsibility? Is it our, our government's leader's responsibility? Um, maybe you've never stopped to um, think of the mirrors in your vehicle before. And this is something I think about all the time. So think about the mirrors in a car that you drive. Now, one of the things that I do every time I get in, I sit down, put my seatbelt on, and I adjust the mirrors in the vehicle. So what kinds of mirrors do we have in our vehicles? We have side mirrors, and a rear view mirror. So I want to show you a picture of what that hopefully looks like. Every time I get into a vehicle in our family, my wife and I, we have two vehicles and we use them interchangeably. So sometimes I get into a vehicle and the mirrors aren't set to my height or according to how long my legs are. And so I need to set them in order to be able to drive according to my maximum ability. In the wintertime, you get into a vehicle, if those, maybe you're like me, but if those windows are fogged or maybe they're frosted over from the previous night, i got to get out there and scrape them because if I can't see in the mirrors, it's hard for me to drive and it makes me feel uneasy. So think about that image for a moment. Well, in the word of God, the side mirrors, coincidentally, two of them, that God has given every future generation, whether child or youth, or young adult is the role of parents. 
The God-given design for every child is that they would have a mom and a dad speaking into their life together. Let me tell you about the glorious deeds of God. Let me tell you about the works of God. Let me tell you about what God has done in my life. And so like mirrors, they help us see around us. They help us know how to stay on the path. They help us know what's ahead. They help us know if there's danger around us. They guide us. They lead us. They teach us. They maximize for us how to live our lives. But the reality is, in growing percentages, that this isn't true for every child. Not every child has a mom and a dad mirror reflecting for them Christ, the glorious works of God. And so, the third mirror that we see, that God gives us within the word of God, is what we would call church. That rear view mirror helps us see additionally what's around us. You see, the the answer to the question, well, who is responsible for telling coming generations about the glorious works of God? Let this picture show you. It's the parent's role, primarily. I mean, I would say that my side mirrors in my vehicle are the most important ones. You know, remember that message it says in the mirror? Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Good to know that. It's good to know with a maximized scope what's going on in life around me. But it's also important to recognize that church, you play a role in telling coming generations about Christ. But it's not your role primarily to tell coming generations about Christ. The Bible would say that's on the parents. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gives a command through Moses, teach and tell your children to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it goes into some very famous verses for God's people Israel to remember what that looks like. Teach them about God when you rise up. Teach them when you sit down. Teach them when you go out. Teach them when you come home. Teach them while you're texting. Teach them while you're calling. doesn't say that. That's my contemporary paraphrase. But essentially it says, tell the coming generations about God all the time you can. If you're a parent, you have so much time with your children. Take every moment possible to tell them about Jesus Christ. Now, the thing to know about this image here with the mirror is that if you're maybe a child here today or if you have someone speaking into your life, you need to know that they are God-given leaders for you to know about Jesus. I know maybe you don't always want to hear the words that they have to say, but at least know that God has put them in your life to tell you about God to model for you a life that loves God. So listen to them. Be respectful to them. Hear them in what they're trying to tell you. They're not going to be perfect examples, but they're telling you about a perfect example, Jesus. And if you're a parent here today, you need to know as well, it's not the church's role to lead and tell your children about Christ. They want to help you in this. Harvest Kids... They want to come alongside you and support you and equip you in every way that they can, but it's never the church's role to take primary responsibility to tell children about Christ. We do that with parents. It's a collective relationship together. The Bible describes that as the people of God or a faith community. It's it's people coming together, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and, and spiritual mentors. It's everyone doing this together for future generations. Now, just think about this for a second, just to help emphasize that point. We'll call this parenting math for a moment. Um, Most children uh, move out of the home around 18. Maybe they head off to university, and so they move out, and then they get a job, and I know it's sad to think, but they don't ever come home because they establish themselves on their own. I mean, in some ways, that's what you're preparing your children to do. If you were to take 52 weeks a year for 18 years, you have roughly 936 weeks to pour into and to influence your child. 936 weeks till they're 18. So that means if you're a part of this church, if you have a two-year-old, that means that you have 832 weeks left in the life of your child to pour into them. Which means that every passing week, you have 0.1% of your influence gone to the history of the world. If you're here today and you have a 10-year-old, you have 416 weeks left a little over half, which means every passing week you have 0.2% of your influence into your children that goes every single week. If you have a 17-year-old in your life, 
If you do the math, you've got 52 weeks left of influence before they maybe move out of the home and your maximum impact and influence on them is gone. Which means then that this year in 2019, every week that goes by is 1.9% less that you have for your children. So that's parenting math. But let's consider then, in terms of the mirrors, church math. Every week has 168 hours. And if you were to think about your children coming to church, hopefully every weekend, to be here for roughly an hour and a half or so, that equals 0.8% of a child's week that they are at church. So the leaders that your children have to tell the coming generations here in your church in Harvest Kids are, are only 8%, 8.8% of the child's week. If you've done that math, that means that you as parents have 99.2% of your child's attention throughout the week. Minus sleep, hopefully that's 56 hours, but, but that's a huge contrast. And that is why it doesn't work for us to look to our church and say, church, you got to do it. You've got to teach my, chi- my children about God. That's not the way God has designed it. So keep that in mind as we lead our children because what's here in wisdom for us is to make every single moment to tell the coming generations about Christ. Now, mirrors help show what's around us, but mirrors also help us know what's behind us. They show us where we've come from. They show us where we've gone. Just like that rear view mirror, the church can help show what's behind you. And so that's why as we come to verse 5 and 6 now, As Asaph has said, listen up, listen to the words I have to tell you. These are things we've heard before. We need to tell children and future coming generations about God and his glorious works. He says, let's do that then in verse 5 and 6. Let's do that by, point number two, tell the coming generations to remember the past. Let's remember the past and everything that we've gone through. The people of God have a God-given command to teach and tell children and future coming generations about the ages past. You have to hear that today. A part of this church, as the family of God, the body of Christ, you have a God-given responsibility to tell children about Jesus. That's an imperative. It has to be done. And so Asaph writes in this song to the people of God, let's do that by remembering the past. He says, God has already established a testimony for us. He's already appointed a law for our people. He commanded it to our fathers. And now the people of Israel, often in the Old Testament, they had ways to do this. They had feasts and festivals that they would use to remember all that God had done for them. So if you think of the The celebration of Passover. That's when God led his people out of Egypt by saving families with blood of a lamb on the doorposts. You are saved as the angel of the Lord passes over this because God protected you. They remember that every year. Remember the past and what God has done for us. But one of the greatest celebrations that the people of Israel had every year was called the Day of Atonement. Every year they would remember and celebrate together the fact that an animal sacrifice atoned for all of their sins. It was something they did every single year, which is why when we come to the New Testament in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus did that once and for all. No more animal sacrifice because his death was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. So they remembered feasts and festivals together, but they would also do this more informally. If you remember the story in Joshua chapter 4, the people of Israel come to the Jordan River and they're traveling and they're on their way to the promised land and, and they come to the Jordan River and think, how are we going to cross this? And God does this miracle. And they, they cross the river because God stops the flow of the Jordan River. The people of God cross over. And then you, if you remember what happens next, God tells Joshua, build a 12-stone monument. Just put a structure there to remember And in Joshua chapter 4, the answer God gives to Joshua for his people is one day when your children ask you, why is this here? Why is this built by the river here? You will tell them, God did this for us. God stopped the river. God helped his people cross through. God wants us to remember that he has done this for us. And it says, so then you will always respect the Lord your God. So looking in the past helps you remember and learn in the present or the future. Telling the coming generation to remember that helps them also not be confused as they continue to go through life. Well, I know what we've been here before. 
I know what God's taught me before. And so in this moment right now of suffering or trial, I know God's watching over me. I know that God is with me. I know that God will be there for me. God doesn't always answer my prayers according to how I think it's right, but I know that God's plan is perfect. Remembering the past affects you in the future. Think of the Lion King. Remember when Simba's just confused, he's running at night throughout the wilderness, and he, he's trying to figure out, do I go back, lead my pride? Do I help them in this hard time? Do I just continue to hakuna matata, love life where I am? And he remembers the words that his father Mufasa speaks for him and says, Simba, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten in the past who you are. You are, the, you are my son. You are the one who's meant to lead your pride. Remembering the past affects us in the future to remember then all that God has done. But you know what? I also love the words of uh, Charles Spurgeon. He says this. He says, those who forget God's works are surely to fail on their own. Think about that. Forgetting about all that God has done for us will cause us to fail on our own because maybe we forget that God has already won the victory in the battles. Maybe we forget that God has helped us through so many times. Why would he not help us now? Or maybe we look in the past, we forget all the promises of God he's given us within his word where he says these promises are yes and amen. If we forget these promises, we forget what God has done, we are sure to fail on our own. And so looking frequently in the rear view mirror of life, it helps us as parents and church leaders to the coming generations remember and know that we can see where we've come from and we can see where we've gone together and how God has been there for us. Uh, just before Christmas, our family, we uh, gathered the kids. We had a movie night. We rented this movie called The Star. It came out last year. It's this animated um, movie about these animals that witness the birth of Christ. It's a cute movie, but, but what's really interesting in this movie is that as Jesus is about to be born, the animals are, are they're excited to witness Jesus, but there's this dark spiritual element that's going on that's trying to prevent Jesus from being born. It's a, really, it's a beautiful picture of just the spiritual warfare that was going on as Christ was entering the world. And um, our son, Owen, he's our oldest, he was he was on the couch during these final scenes and he was biting his nails and he's squirming. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Is Jesus going to be born? Is he not going to be born? Is the bad guy going to stop? And my wife had to just stop him and remind him, Owen, oh, you know the story. You know, you, don't you remember the past? Jesus is born. Jesus is born. It tells us in the Bible that that, that actually happened. So even though right now you're, you're scared, you're worried, you're not sure what's going to happen, maybe those emotions are real. I'm sure they were. But, but remember the past. It's going to be okay. I mean, how many times in our parenting can we use that concept to help our children? It's going to be okay. The times are evil. The days are dark. We look around the world around us. We read the newspapers. We read the social feeds. And we just think, what is this world coming to? We know from the word of God that God wins at the end. We know that if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ and forgiveness of our sins, we know that God has us. We have nothing to worry about. Perfect love casts all fear. I'm a child of God. I have nothing to worry about. That's what God tells us in his word. Remember Paul's praise to Timothy's grandmother in the epistles? Paul speaks to Lois and just praises her for her spiritual leadership in telling the coming generation of young Timothy and how much that she had done for him. You know, if you're a grandparent here today, um, if you're advanced in years or you have much life experience, is how you describe yourself, I want you, to, I want you to hear in this challenge and command in our passage today, please see that you have a role to play in the future and com- coming generations. I mean, future followers of Christ need to sit with you and hear from you and learn from you. They need to hear the times that you failed and the times that God was victorious. They need to be hear about the times you tried to do it on your own and then God brought you to the place and showed you how you needed the Lord. You need the hindsight that you have in your life to be communicated to children. 
My encouragement for you here today is that you would find ways maybe to gather your own biological grandchildren. Get them together and find ways that you can spiritually mentor them. Maybe you can, maybe you can join Harvest Kids here and pour into the generations of children growing up in this place where you can help them learn from all of the things and ways that you have learned from God in your life. And so in the passage, we are instructed, number one, to listen out. Number two, to remember the past, but what is the purpose of all of this teaching? We're coming to the climax of this psalm, and before we read that next verse, I want to come back to that question I asked earlier. Parents, what's the ultimate goal of your parenting? What's the chief end of the way you parent your children? Church, for you here today, why do you offer children's programs during your weekend services? Why do you, why, why do you even do something for them on the weekends If you serve in children's ministry, why do you even serve in this ministry? What's the goal? What's the point of it? If you're a grandparent here today, why are you never too old to mentor a child? If you're single and you don't have any of your own children, why is being single or not having your own children never an excuse for you not to get involved in the life of a future generation and start pouring into them? and teaching them and being a faithful steward of all the things that you know from God's word and what he's done in you to impart to future children. Why? Verse 7. That's the heart. That should be our heart. God, help us have this heart. So we're going to tell generations coming before us that they might know him. Verse 6 says, the children yet unborn. It is generational. See, it's children yet unborn, and then they would rise up and tell their children. It's beyond generations. But then verse 7, the climax of the psalm, why are we doing all this? Why should we care? So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That is the purpose of why we desire these things. So point three We tell the coming generation to set their hope in God. Set your hope in God and nothing else. There is no greater message than we can give future generations than for them to understand that the only thing under heaven that will save you is setting your hope in God. Because there's no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. And that affects how we lead and tell and teach and parent because then if we understand this, set your hope in God, we're not going to teach them to set their hope in themselves. Parents, you're not going to teach your children to set their hope in you. It's ridiculous. We're not going to teach future coming generations to set their hope in their next phone or what their friends think of them at school or on their teams. We're not going to teach them to set their hope in a 5.0 GPA. We're not going to teach them to set their hope in Fortnite and the characters and the skins that they have and their characters in this fake world. We teach them and tell them, set your hope in God. Set your hope in God alone because only God saves. And that's why Luke writes that in Acts. No other name saves you. Nothing else will be there for you. Nothing else will be a perfect example for you. There's no other perfect heavenly father in this life other than the God that you find and hear about in the Bible who is God willing changed your life that you might share with them. Know this God, trust this God, believe in this God. That needs to be on our hearts. And yet as maybe we think about this, we say, yeah, I agree, that resonates with me, I, I, I want to be for this. Maybe we, even, we nod our heads and we feel like, yes, I'm going to write that down. And then we go home and we think, oh, this is so hard. This is so hard to teach children to hope in God. I, I, want, I want my children to hope in me. I serve in this ministry, a church, I want them to see that I'm the hero, not God's the hero. Or maybe you go home and and tomorrow's another work week and you get home at the end of the day and you think, I don't have anything left to give my children to tell them about God. I'm fatigued, I'm tired. Maybe you're a, a mom that's home with a young child and you think, I am giving everything in this season of life. How do I have any time right now to tell my children in every moment about Jesus? I feel like that's impossible. Well, number one, that's why we do that together. And number two, that's why God is the perfect example, because he knows you can't do it. And here's the danger when we fall back into the place and say, I just can't, I 
I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. I just don't have the energy. We fall into the danger, as Jack Klumpenhauer says in his book, Show Them Jesus. Kids only hear, kids who only hear the good news a little tend to become children or kids who only love and trust Jesus a little. And so maybe if you've been listening, maybe you're asking the question, how do we do this? How do we do this is probably the most common question that I get in children's ministry from parents who just say, you know what? It's either an admission that I want to do this, but I don't know how, or it's a confession to say, you know what? I've never really thought about it, and I don't even know where to start. I think those are good questions to ask, and you know, just to maybe follow up on that. So Jack's book, Show Them Jesus, it's an excellent book. Show Them Jesus, Jack Klumpenhauer. If you've heard of the book, if you, if you haven't, try and get your hands on it. If you have a desire to tell coming generations, in the book I want to show you a couple helpful methods and tips. We'll start with methods. He gives three of them to help you as you tell coming generations, how do I do that? And so there's three methods. Number one, maybe in the, the everyday parenting of your life, putting your kids to bed or your family devotions or I drive my kids to school, I just don't know what to say or how do I encourage my children. Here's three things to think about. Number one, as you tell the coming generations, help them see what God does. Help them see and have eyes to be aware how God is working in their life or in your life or your family's life. Help the children that you serve with or that you're going to pour into see what God does. Number two, help them see who God is. Help them know his character. I know your children's ministry curriculum here on the weekends is often teaching them God is this. God forgives. God is a good creator. God redeems. God is perfect. Teach them the character of God so that in moments of uncertainty in life, at least they know if this is who God is, this certainly is how God will act or respond in my life. So teach them who God is. Thirdly, a method to help you um, as you tell the coming generation is that Jesus solves problems. Not mom, not dad, not grandma, not your teacher, not your pastor. Jesus solves problems. Jesus is the one you run to. Jesus is the one that helps you. Jesus is the one that has answers. Jesus is the one that saves you. So those are some methods to think about. And then there's also some tips that he gives um, to look about um, as, as you tell coming generations. Number one, know the story. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Bible is really a story. It's, it's one story that God has given to us. It's breathed out by God. It's authoritative. It's inspired by him. It's all about him. Genesis to Revelation is one story of God redeeming all of creation, working with people who are stubborn and rebellious, as we'll see in verse 8, but then certainly being faithful to send Christ calling the people to himself, establishing the church, helping us function together in love and with gifts to tell others and evangelize to a world who needs to know about him, but ultimately how one day God comes back and, and takes all those who have put faith and set their hope in God for a forever eternity. I mean, that's a quick answer to the story, but number one, if you're pouring into future generations, you need to know the story. Make it a habit in your own life or your own devotions to master this story. So if a child asks you, what is the Bible about? Who is God? Who is Jesus? In a few sentences, can you tell me, like, what is the plot line of the story of the Bible for all of creation? You can answer them in a child-appropriate way. Sure, I'd love to tell you. I'd love to tell you about God because I know the story. Secondly, I want you to think about the fact that, that you can consult the experts not saying that I'm an expert, but, but, but maybe you don't have a study Bible at home. That would be a great thing to purchase. Maybe you're reading passages sometimes with your children at dinner time or before bed, and you, you come to a verse and you read it and you think, please don't ask me this question. Please don't ask me this question. What's this verse about? I have no idea what it's about. Get yourself a good study Bible. An ESV study Bible is an invaluable resource. As you look at the bottom half of every page and it gives you verse by verse of scholarly advice in terms of how to interpret or read into the story as you're trying to learn it. Consult the experts. Ask the leaders in your church. Email Pastor Ray, endless emails. I'm sure he would love that too. But, but consult people who know, not perfectly, but maybe that you would look to as a spiritual mentor in your own life to say, can you help me understand this? Can you help me know what to say or how to answer this? Um, thirdly, make it um, work for them. So what we're trying to do here in this point is help children wrestle together. 
Don't always just tell them the answer. What does this mean? Answer. Or what is this about? Answer. Maybe ask them questions that help provoke their thought as they learn and grow spiritually. Well, what do you think it's about? Well, what was God doing in this part of the story? What, God, what is God doing? What do you think God's going to do next? What had God done already? Remember, remembering the past. Make them work for it to practice in them good biblical study and instruction for them. And fourthly, a tip, avoid bad God and good God thinking. God never contradicts himself within God's word. And a very contemporary example of that is not to look to the Old Testament and say, we can't, we can't really do anything with that anymore. And then we come to the New Testament and say, this is the money stuff. This is what I'm going to teach my children. I mean, point number two today, remember the past? Here's a way to remember the past. Let's read the Old Testament. God never contradicts himself. Help future generations see that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character never changes. If God says this is who he is, that's who he is. You can count on him and rely on him and help them understand that when we read one story in Judges and we think, how could God or why would God, when we come to the Gospels, it's not, oh, is this a different person? Is this a new God? It's all the same God doing different things at different times for different purposes, but that we might know him and his story in his word. So hopefully those things can be helpful for you. Now, one of the things that I would encourage you as well on top of this is repetition. Maybe in our own reading within God's word, we never come to the point, hopefully, where we read something and maybe in a Bible reading plan and think, well, I never have to read that again. I've read Genesis chapter one, never gonna come back to that. I've read the gospels before, not gonna read that either. Maybe some of us need to practice more repetition, call to mind, help children see that, that it's good to come back and remember. It's good to reinforce. I mean, think as a parent, how many times you've had to say, I've told you a thousand times and they still don't learn. But repetition does work. It's the way that often we learn. It's the way that children learn. Sometimes, sometimes some of us don't learn by being told again. But ultimately where this leads us is to remember, I'm going to tell you again because I need you to hear what I'm trying to tell you. And I want you to hear this because it's going to change your life. But it doesn't always change our life. If we don't have the right end goal, it won't change your life. Think of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He calls out the Pharisees because they have set their hope in law-keeping. They, they thought they knew the word of God. They thought they knew the story. They thought they knew how to live this way. And all of a sudden they realize, actually, that's totally missing the point. That's not exactly what we are aiming for. And so I want to show you maybe an image of, of what our goal should be as we tell the coming generations right before our last verse. So the child that hears and remembers, the first example, the child that hears and remembers and you tell them about Christ and they are listening to you of all the glorious things of God, our goal should never be that it leads to head knowledge. We're not trying to make smart children because head knowledge, as Jesus says to the Pharisees, leads to Pharisees. It leads to lovers of religion. We repeat and tell and teach our children so that secondly and more accurately, the child that hears and remembers and listens is a child who experiences heart transformation. They are changed by the word of God. They are changed by who this God is. And that ultimately leads to children who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the best ways to do this and to learn and help them learn is lastly in our final verse, verse 8, that teaches us point number four, tell the coming generation to learn from wisdom. Learn from wisdom. Learn the things that I have done before, the things I won't do again. Learn the things that God has done for us. And so in the final verse, the, um, Asaph, the psalm tells us, learn from your fathers. They were, they were stubborn and rebellious. They were a generation whose heart was not steadfast. They forgot all things that God had done for them. They set their hope in the wrong things in their lives. Remind the coming generations, here's how I've learned, and here's how it has changed me for the future. Now, many of us would not assume these words in verse 8. We wouldn't want to admit to our children, I'm stubborn, I'm rebellious, my heart's not steadfast. But, but if you look in your own life, there are many ways that we would say, God's taught me this. I didn't see it at the time. I didn't listen to God. I ran from God. I thought I could do it on my own. Those are just synonyms for what the author is saying here. 
And children need to hear about the ways that we've failed and the ways that we've learned because we need them to understand that through life experience, through looking in the own mirrors in our lives, we have been reflecting and understanding that, that we want them to know Jesus through what we've learned. And this is hard stuff. It's hard to find the time or how do we say to our children and coming generations, how do I tell you about something that I'm not proud of? How do I instruct you from the mistakes I've made or how God used that in my life? This is hard stuff because this, as God's word tells us, is spiritual warfare. This is a battle against flesh and blood. This is a a battle against the spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. This is hard for us. You want to bet what Satan's number one desire and mission is for the coming generations? Deter and distract your children from setting their hope in Jesus. That's why it's hard in the day in and the day out. That's why it's hard to say, I don't know if I want to serve or pour into and mentor children of coming generations because it's not always easy for us. That's why I love what Julie Lowe says in her book, Child Proof. Parenting by faith and not formula. She reminds us, she says, what God has asked of you and me can never be accomplished by sheer human grit and determination. I mean, how many mums is that for today? You can't try harder. You can't make your home cleaner. You can't tell them in the best way. You can't dress them up nice enough. You can't do it on your own. How many, how many dads and parents here today need to remember those words that you cannot do it in yourself? You cannot just try to be better. You cannot choose that wisdom in this world that says just set your mind to it and you can accomplish this. You can fix your children by formula or by reading a book or by taking a class. The only thing that changes future generations is a God who gives growth to the seeds that we plant. We have to believe that as a church. We have to believe and pray and say, God, use me. Use me as your servant to tell coming generations to listen up. Help me remember to tell future generations to to not only look in the past, but learn from the past. God, help me be used for future generations to be able to set their hope in you. God, if you would use me or us or as a church to help us understand children need to love God, then God, would you bring so much fruit in future coming generations in this land because of how you used us. Not because of us, but because we were willing and wanting and desiring to tell the coming generations about a glorious God with glorious deeds and wondrous deeds and mighty works. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us instruction and commands in your word to love you. And thank you, God, that you've given us the responsibility as daunting and hard as it is sometimes, but exciting as it is to pass that on to future generations, to tell them how much God loves them, to tell much how God is there for them. And so, God, would you find this church faithful in doing that? Lord, would you use this year, this spring, as we learn this together in a series, would you, would you use every single person in this church to find someone in their life or to serve with someone in their life so that there would be future generations of children in their families, in their homes, in this church that he would hear of your glorious works of, of old and would see you do glorious works in their lives in the future. God, not that might, we might pat ourselves on the back, not that people might look at us and say, wow, great parents, amazing church. They, they have something figured out. But that you would receive glory. That lives would be changed from darkness into light, from death to life. And that there would be a generation of children that would grow up in this land that would love you and be passionate for you because of the faithful example that we've set before them. God, would you do that in this place and for your glory. Amen.